give us an opportunity to make you develop our own opinion, you know? I mean, how dare we? How dare we develop <laughs> our own opinions? Hi everyone, it's Ria, the host of Femme on Film, where a guest and I talk about films made by women, starring women, for women. These are films that have often been overlooked or unfairly derided, or where female filmmakers haven't been given the same chances as their male counterparts. And sometimes it's just a chance to talk about films that we love that happen to be made by women. If you like fun, insightful and patriarchy smashing chats about film, come and have a listen. Femon Film is part of the Comics and Motion Network and can be found on all your podcast apps. So come and join us. Smash the patriarchy. <laughs> I've been trying to think of new and fun and exciting ways to expand the indie comic spotlight universe. Obviously, I do Creator Corner. Obviously, Jack and I are going to do Back to the Bibliography. Heath and I are doing the Sin City run. We've got some other stuff that we're going to do in uh, coming uh, year. You know, um, Rhea and I, boy, we have had a trouble <clears throat> getting our schedules together, but we've got some big, big fun plans on the horizon. Uh, Dan is coming on to do Hellboy. Uh, Paul told me about uh, Letter 44, so we're going to do that. We've got stuff. I've got stuff coming up, folks. But I like doing these solo showlos just because time and because there's, there's just a way for me to get into some things that I couldn't necessarily get into. Um, I don't want to force a guest to read something, especially with this new series that I'm going to start. Today is the first episode of the new series. And essentially what I want to take a look at is books, book series that are comic book adjacent. So what that means is not now like Ian Colfer, um, Owen Colfer, I guess is how it said. Sorry to my Irish friends. Owen Colfer, the guy who did Artemis Fowl and all those books, he did... Um, an Iron Man series of YA books for Marvel. Um, the, DC has been doing a lot of um, YA books where they get YA writers and they're turning them into books. And, and that is books about comic books, books about superheroes. Those are good. Some, some aren't great. Um, some, you know, I'm not here to shit on those or praise those any, either way. If you like them, great. If you don't, that's fine. I think they're, like anything, they're a mixed bag. I do enjoy reading them though as a book nerd. But I started thinking about books that are comic book adjacent being that these should be comic books. These are written by somebody who loves comic books. This is a love letter to comic books, but it's done in a way where it's maybe even a little bit cheaper still, right? We all hear the stories when I have the creator corners on here, you always hear about the artist. And Allison says, Allison Shelton says, you know, you find an artist, you hire an artist, you pay your artist. And I understand that. And I'm working on something with Eric and it's collaborative. And I didn't pay Eric, but because he's co, I wanted him to actually put the name first. He's co-creator with me. And so those are different things when you're, when you're coming at something from that perspective. 
But if you're right, I agree with Allison that when you're going to do that. So there's a lot of books, though, that you've got this like three novels worth of materials. You've got a trilogy. And to think about turning that into a graphic novel, right? A, you know, 600 pages of text into a graphic novel would be a thousand, fifteen hundred pages of graphic novels. And how many years would that take if you're putting them out one book a month? Or if you were putting them out as standalone graphic novels, it would still take more than a year that it usually generally takes to get a novel out. And, you know, from the time that you write it until the time it's out, time it's ready to be published, it's a year. And then it may take a few more years till it's finally, you know, somebody buys it or whatever. But there's there's a value of doing comic books as a book, right? As a novel, where you're taking this story that's clearly inspired by comic books. It's it's written by and for and about comic nerds. It's a very specific to a specific genre, but again, just a little bit cheaper, just a little bit easier to pull off. So I thought, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start doing maybe once a month, maybe once every two months, I'm going to do a solo show-lo about... Um, I don't know why I started doing that. I mentioned it to Paul the other day about his solo show, and I just liked that it rhymed. It's dumb. Sorry. Sorry, Paul. Sorry, everybody. Uh, I'm going to start doing these shows. And um, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you spoiler-free look at a book series that you should read, that if you like superheroes, this is a great way to make that move. Now, there's this argument that... People say, you know, oh, you give comic books to reluctant readers because, you know, people who don't like to read or people who, who struggle with reading, giving them comic books. That is true. Of course, that's true because it's words and pictures. However, sequential art is really hard. People think sequential art is like, oh, it's book, books and pictures. That's not what comic books are. Comic books aren't books and pictures. It's not here is one picture. It's sequential art. There's a lot to it. I teach classes where I give my students adult learners people in their 40s and 50s who've never read a comic book before so they didn't train their brains on it like I did like a lot of my nerds did my nerd friends we all started reading comic books and we just figured it out at a young age but I can't remember what it must have been like reading a comic book for the first time and being what the fuck is going on there's action and there's movement and there's sounds in the background and there's letters up front and this box is an internal dialogue and this is external dialogue and what the fuck is going on I mean, when you think of those old Stan Lee, Jack Kirby ones where they reintroduced everybody every single issue in the Claremont ones, you got to reintroduce everybody every issue. The Stan Lee argument that every book is somebody's first comic. So those are just heavy. So it is true. It is a good way to get somebody who's like not keen on reading to read because maybe they do like to see the pictures and it does help their brains. They can deal with sequential art. But then, you know, how, what's the what's the next step? Sure, there's novelizations of of movies, right? Which we've all read. Well, maybe not all of us. I know I've read. I know Scott has read some of those, and I know some of my other friends have read those novelizations of movies. So those are great. Those are great ways to get people to because you've seen the movie, and now you're like reading the novelization of Tim Burton's Batman or the novelization of whatever. And I think um, that now that podcast starts, guys, said the novelization of Alien Three is quite a bit. You know, has quite a bit more in it, which I would love to read. I actually like Alien 3 um, 
So it's it's just an interesting way to you know expand a universe. And I've read some of those alien books too. There's a whole series of books that are about the alien universe that are books that, that are clearly set in universe, but they're books. And they're books because we can't afford the movie. And they're books because books are actually still cheaper than comic books. I know we always say comic books have an unlimited budget, and that's true. But there is more of a budget when you're writing a book as somebody who is a novelist, who does write books, who does write short stories. It is just you alone. There's, there's, the cost is much lower. And so if you've got this big world idea, but you can't afford an artist, and you're not a big enough name to get your book made into a movie, this is what you have to do, right? And then you get those people who were comic book readers, those reluctant readers who did start to read by reading comic books. This is an excellent way to get them to keep reading and to move from comic books into prose. Now, are, are prose better than comic books? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm not here to say, I'm an English teacher who's for sure here to say that is 100% not true. However, that 12-year-old who hates to read is going to have to read a novel eventually, right? In order to get through high school, he or she or they are going to have to read novels. And so what do you do? Maybe you start handing them. You should give them comic books to get them to read. You're getting them thinking these big thoughts, right? Then you say, oh, okay, well, here's that you love comic books. Here's a novel that's comic book adjacent. It's about stuff that's comic book-y. It's science fiction fantasy stuff that's not hard science fiction like Asimov. And it's not heavy fantasy with all the lore and all of the or, lore or canon, as it were. You should listen to um, Paul's new show to learn the difference between those things. Um, that the like the Lord of the Rings series has because those are dense books right there's a lot going on I mean he created his own language so maybe that's not you know you don't want that but you you want something that does it's got its own universe it has its own rules it has all that but but it's just an excellent way to get people to read. and for people who are already big readers these are just things to love so I thought this would be a fun series so that's the wind up I'm not going to do this wind up again next episode um, so the first up this guy he's going to show up quite a bit in this series and I thought it's no better person to start with than Scott Westerfeld. Now Scott Westerfeld is a writer. He's from Dallas. He um, he splits his time between New York and Sydney because his wife is Australian. Also the, a great novelist Justine Labellestier. Um, she will show up in this series um, eventually with her Magic or Reason series. And um, uh, or is it Magic or Madness? Magic or Madness Reason is the is the main character's name. It's been a while. Going to have to reread those. Anyway, she'll show up in this series. And, and there's going to be some other great young adult writers who show up in this series um, where they write books that are a little on the nose about superheroes in some cases or that are just like clearly for the people who love comic books and love superheroes and love world building. Um, uh, you know, these are books for them. So we're going to start with Scott. Now, he, it's, we're not going to start with his ugly series, though that will definitely show up. Um, so I was inspired by Jack, who's reading the Ugly series now, and I love the Ugly series. The, the second book of the second quadrilogy just came out, and I wrote a love letter to all things Scott Westerfeld and the Ugly series in Fantastic Universes. So you should check that out, and thank you, Steve, for letting me do that. Uh, but this series, this is when I had started with Uglies. That was the first book I read. But while I was waiting for the Ugly series to finish, I found out they did this other trilogy. And I went back and I just read those all the way through. Now, I, I've used this trilogy in class. I used to teach young adult literature. And sometimes I would give them the first book of a trilogy. And sometimes I'd make them read the whole trilogy. It would just kind of depend on, on where I was. You know, I, they read seven books over the course of the semester. So, so I had the time. So this was one that I had them read the whole trilogy. And 
It's called The Midnighters. Now, it takes place in Bigsby, Oklahoma, and I'm not, again, not going to spoil anything. And the, the premise is, is that certain kids who are born at a certain time in a certain location. Now, the Zeros series that he does later, that he has two co-writers on, there's also a thing about being born at a certain time. But this is being born at a certain time, at a certain place, you are a midnighter, which means you're born at midnight at a certain um, latitudinal and longitudinal line, and that when you're in that latitude and longitudinal line, like you may be born there, but then you move, so you don't know that you have this power. At midnight, the world freezes, and only the select few people who are born at the right place at the right time get to live in the secret hour. That's the first book. It's called The Secret Hour. And so for the rest of the world, one second goes by, but for the, those kids who live there, and so Bigsby, Oklahoma is one of these these places, which is a real place, by the way, um, for one hour from midnight to 1 a.m. to them, but it's really midnight, oh, 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 to midnight, oh, 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 one second, an hour passes. And what happens is all the demons and all the baddies and all of these monsters of, of old they all live inside the secret hour. And this is the one time of year. It's like the deal they made with humans, right? So for one hour every night, they get to live. And there are people, kids in particular, who have to be born at the right time, who, through some hand-wavy science, they get to live during that time. So our four main characters that we meet are um, Melissa. And so she is um, a mind reader. And so the cool thing is, is that I mean, not cool for Melissa because Melissa's life is really sucks. It's called she she calls it mind noise. It's awful. So, but some of their power translates outside of the of the blue time, the secret hour. They call it the blue time, and some of them come inside it. So Melissa, when she's outside, she can still read minds, and and everything sucks for her, right? She's so when she's always walking around with headphones, and she's like super emo and everything, but it's because she's miserable, and she's she's just so much in pain all the time because she, everybody, everybody's thoughts are being, you know, sent straight at her. Now, her partner in crime, as it were, sort of boyfriend, sort of love interest is called Rex, and he's sort of the leader. He's the seer, and he is the one who can tell if it's a midnight or if it's a normal person, kind of like in They Live, and he's the one who can read all the, all the darklings, that's what they call them, all the darkling lore, the monsters, and he's the one who knows the history of the Midnighters because during the secret hour, he can read all that stuff. And then there's Jonathan and he's like a light, fun guy. He's their flyer. And so in the secret hour, he can jump and it's really cool. Um, he's just full of joy. They call him, he's the acrobat. Um, he jumps around. He's kind of like moves like Hulk, you know, Hulk can jump or like Wonder Woman, you can catch wind. And he's just a lot of fun because he's so full of joy. And so really, um, he and Rex and Melissa don't get along because he's so happy all the time because his power is awesome and their powers are both kind of hard and, and really stressful. And then there's Des, who's the main character, in my opinion, and she is the mathematician. And I know you're like, math, what? But it's true because 13, the number 13 is, uh, I, you know, is uh, a problem for the Darklings. And so she protects things with 13 letter words, which are called tridecologisms. And so the whole book is full of tridecologisms. And she has to think up new ones because certain ones have better power. So the more, more she uses, the more new ones she uses because they can kind of grow accustomed to them. And then Jessica shows up and she's the light bringer and she's the one that they never thought she thought she would 
fixed because who fucking moves to Bixby, Oklahoma? Nobody. So Jessica comes, and that's actually when the book, when the story starts. So these are our main characters, those four, and then Jessica comes, and she's the point of view character, and she's the new Midnighter, and she has this new power. And so three books take place essentially in like a month. But, but you know, because they're living in these secret hours. And it is, and again, spoiler free, but goddamn, it is fucking amazing. And when I taught this class, taught this books in class, I had a student say, okay, obviously Midnighters are the greatest books that have ever been written of all time. That's what Sam said. He loved these. And you know why? Because he was a comic book nerd of old, and he totally got it. He saw these books for what they were, the joy of, of what... <sighs> World building is so fun. Sorry, I got a little exasperated because I just remember seeing how happy Sam was when we covered these books. It's just still one of my favorite teaching moments to see this guy. You know, he's like a father of two. He's just like, you know, a nerd like us. And he loved these books and it just, he, he immediately went. And so I used to make my students, they would have to do a thing called the book of books and they had to make lesson plans about the books that we read and they had to make lesson plans about other books too. And so he made all these amazing lesson plans about Midnighters and he couldn't wait to go teach middle school and teach the Midnighters. So out there in the world, there's a bunch of kids reading Midnighters because Sam is teaching them because he loved these books for what they were. And they are beautiful and they're done. They're at a time and place when technology didn't ruin everything, right? Too, you know, I mean, technology can ruin horror movies. Technology can ruin science, you know, can ruin science fiction movies. Technology... You know, if Buffy had a cell phone, and I know that's the new Boom Studios is Buffy with a cell phone, but if Buffy had a cell phone and towards the end she does, it kind of changes things, right? There's part of the danger, and that's this thing about this. So the first time the Midnighters were actually tried to be turned into a movie, or maybe it was a TV series, somebody was going to do it, and they were going to, because Scott Westfield doesn't own the film rights because it was his first book series, so, you know, you just sign away. They were going to have them be a bunch of adults, and he's like... So from the sidelines, he was like kind of shouting them down like, wait, boo, what's, why is that interesting? A bunch of adults who get to sneak out at midnight? I mean, that's so not the point. They have to be kids. They have to be teenagers. And so then, so that didn't work. And so then a few years ago, the guys who did Chuck were going to do it. And he was excited about that. And that just never happened. And now the Ugly series is coming out on Netflix. Joey King is going to be the star of that and producer. So hopefully that does well. So people will go back and revisit his other series. Because if anything deserved a live adaptation or an animated show, honestly, it's Midnighters. Animated show may even be better. Um, Just because, again, budget is a little bit easier for what they need to do. But technology is amazing, man. You've seen movies. Even low-budget movies have amazing uh, technology. But what I love about these books is that these are like friends who are thrown together because of location and because of circumstance. And friends, air quotes, is there. And there's some romance between Jonathan and Jessica, of course, that's going to happen. You know, she's the new girl. He's the happy guy. All these things. So, you know, she's going she's gonna to like him. And um, it's just... That stuff is never forced in a Scott Westerfeld book either. The, the the romance stuff shows up because it is a YA book, so that's going to be there. But it's never the focus, right? It's just always there. It's adjacent to the story. And it really, truly is um, just so full of fun that it, it, it you live in this world. Like when you read The Midnighter's World, when you live... When you, when you read it, you live there, is what I'm trying to say, stuttering over myself. You you are so absorbed, and it's the coolest stuff. Like, the things they do is amazing. The first time you think, see Jonathan fly, you're like, holy shit. And the first time you see, you know, math be a weapon, you're like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And when you see the way that Des, you know, figures stuff out and the way that Rex 
figures out the lore and, and what it must be like from listening. It really makes you understand people. So it's science fiction, right? Science fiction, obviously, fantasy more, right? It's probably more fantasy than science fiction, this book. Um, but, but good science fiction and fantasy still are character driven, right? It's not just boring, boring, boring history. And I know that's what people dislike a little bit about Lord of the Rings. I happen to like that stuff, but I get it. I get it. But this is so smart and character driven and you just love these kids and you worry about them and you want to protect them. And, you know, depending on who you are, you kind of want to be them. You're like, oh my God, that would be cool. What would be the cool power? So it's just like any other superhero book where you're like, oh, I want to be that man. Oh, I want to be Wolverine. I want to be the Flash. That's my, I mean, Flash isn't my favorite superhero by a long shot, but if I had to have one superpower, I'd be the Flash. I mean, just think of all the books you could read. And, you know, you could probably do nice things for the world too, but you could definitely read a lot of books. That would be super cool. Um, and, you know, the the whole walking on water and walking through walls thing, you know, would come in handy. You'd never need to take your keys anywhere. You could, you know, travel the world uh, pretty easily if you were the Flash. Being the Flash would be pretty cool. Um, I suppose being a superhero would have to come, you know, come with it. And that's part of it. This This book series too is like, you have to make a choice. Like being a Midnighter is a choice. And imagine... If you're a kid who like is a sleeper and so you go to bed every night at 10, you don't know about the secret hour because you're not up, right? If you're not up at midnight, you don't know. So there's a certain kind of person who discovers the secret hour and then you have to make a choice about what you're going to do. And Jonathan has to do with that because he's got the, the fun power. And does he want to fight baddies or does he just want to bounce around and fly and do all the cool shit? It's a, it's a question that is asked. And, and so there's a commentary on superheroes and super teams because, again, like I said, they're thrown together at circumstance and location. And, but it's also choice. And, and who it's about found family. It's all layered. And I think superhero comics can do that. Good superhero comics can, are layered. Bad superhero comics aren't. It's like punchy, punchy, punchy. But this isn't just punchy, punchy. Of course there's that. And of course their stakes are real. And you know, people are hurt and and there's pain and there's agony. But then in the midst of it all, there's still kids. And so they're still going to do fucking homework and they still have to deal with abusive parents or absentee parents or great parents who, who care about them and don't want them sneaking out at midnight or go to sleep. You know, I'm going to check on you, make sure you're not staying up till midnight. And so it's because, you know, that's the thing, too, if you go into the secret hour and you then run away from somebody who's standing in front of you and you're not right back where you're supposed to be at the end of the secret hour. Well, that's going to fuck with them, right? So there's like all these things to consider, the people who are frozen during the secret hour. It's just so good and smart. And it's just such an excellent superhero adjacent story. And I can't recommend Scott Westerfeld's Midnight. I mean, Scott Westerfeld, everything Scott Westerfeld. Scott fucking Westerfeld. You're a king. Love that guy. Um, can't wait for the ugly series to come out. Uh, this winter we will turn Netflix back on for that for sure but in the meantime I'll probably reread the Uglies books and I'll probably go reread the Midnighters books and you should read Midnighters books and so here's what I'd like you to do if you like this if you're like yeah that's a good idea here is a series I think you should cover or if you're like here's a series I've read let's get on and talk about that series let's do that I mean this is something I can totally do with the guest I am totally down for that so I just think this is a, a great way, like I said, off the top, for people who love superhero books and are just like books too, like book books in addition to comic books. This is great. This is an excellent way to get those comic book readers to reading novels. And again, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying reading novels is better than reading comic books or graphic novels. I am saying the reality of the situation is kids are in school. 
they have to read books. It's going to have to happen. And the way to get them comfortable with it is this. It's like the way you get kids comfortable with, you know, old stuffy classics, our classics illustrated, our comic books, right? The way you get, or those like the truncated versions, like, you know, you say like, here, read the, the kid adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. You get a sense of it. And then maybe you watch the movie. And then when you have to read Pride and Prejudice, which you should, because it's amazing, but people don't seem to like Jane Austen like they should. But then you've done two versions of it. So when you get around to the book, it's, a, it's like, you've yes, it's different. It's more complex. The language is more dense. Same thing here. Instead of seeing the pictures, Scott has to describe what the darklings look like because there's not images of them, right? Um, there are some images in here because each Midnighter has his or her own symbol, which is cool. Um, I've seen people actually like get those tattooed on them. Uh, Rach, my youngest, actually used to write the 13 letter words all over her uh, bedroom to, try to ward off the darklings. It was awesome. Um, my kids got to meet Scott Westfeld. They love Scott Westfeld. It was very cool. They all have his signature on a book. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those cool things. It's just a cool, fun way to tell stories, but it's deeper than just, again, punchy, punchy. And punchy, punchy is fine. Superhero battles are awesome, but there's always layers. And, and these novels that are superhero adjacent, that are comic book adjacent, are great gateways. And I'm going to, you know, and I'm calling them indie. It's like Indie Comic Spotlight Presents Books about stuff. I don't know what I'm calling it yet. It'll be in the title. Indie Comics Spotlight presents something. It's there. I haven't decided while I'm saying it. Books about something is probably um, a terrible name. Um, so I'll leave this in here, but that won't be what the title is. The idea being that this is a, a fun new series that I'm looking to do. If you want to join me, please do. Reach out, arfarina.com. Send me a message there. I would love to hear your thoughts on uh, books, superhero books. Um, if you've got a good one, uh, let me know. And I do want, I'm, I'm going to stick with like these kind of indie topics, right? We're not going to do Owen Colford's Iron Man. We're not going to do Margaret Stoll's um, Black Widow books. Although I read those books, and we're not going to cover those on here because I still kind of want to stick to my wheelhouse of being indie creator-owned stuff. So if there's something you could think of, I've got a list. Uh, I asked the fam, the Comics in Motion fam, to come help me with the list. So if you, listener, have, have something, send it to me, man, and say, like, hey, check this out. You should read this. Or, hey, have you read this? And I would like to come talk to you about it. Reach out. Let's do that. Um, so thanks, everybody, for listening to this ramble. Um, I'm excited about this new series. Again, maybe once a month, maybe once every other month. We'll see. Whenever. Whenever I feel like it, um, I guess, is the real answer. Ah. <laughs> uh, Thanks for listening, and we'll see everybody next time. Read more everything. Bye now. Midnight, I've spent another lonely day thinking of you. Midnight. Tomorrow is on its way, empty and blue. I am so lonely, so lonely at midnight for you. Midnight, oh what a lonely time to weep. I. Should have been fast asleep hours ago.
Like crabs from a water.